it is May 21st, time for another edition of the Come On Now MMA podcast. I want to start off today with um, Mike Perry's interview with Mike Bond from MMA Junkie, and Perry had some things to say about Darren Till that were, let's just say, kind of knuckleheaded, and here's the clip. Fuck Darren Till. I want to fight Darren Till. I want to fight him, and then I want to jump out of the cage like Khabib did and jump kick his mom in the face. Fuck I Darren thought, I thought you guys were cool after the uh, the spa. Oh, he's a fucking piece of shit. He's a And there's nothing wrong with being a unless you just like sucking dick. That's cool. He likes to suck dick. That's why he wanted to go to the spa. Fuck him. Excuse my language. It does terrible, but... I hate that motherfucker's guts. I don't like people say certain things. I have one thing I care about in this fucking world. And, you know, whatever. Pe obviously, people are going to use that against me, people who want to see me fail. But to me, it just puts this focus on me and this, this energy because I understand that anger can throw you off. And I've been dealing with that my whole life. So it just it makes me focused and prepares me to do what I need to do to come out on top. Is it frustrating that Darren is taking shots at you when he's a middleweight now? And, you know, the possibility of this fight kind of makes, you know, the it doesn't line up as well as it did when you guys were both welterweights. It doesn't. It doesn't line up as well because I'm 185 pounds right now. But if he wants to cut weight to 185, I'll fight his ass at 185. I'll try to put a couple pounds on and I'll be faster than him and he'll be a fat piece of shit. Fuck him. I'll fight that anytime. I think people have been asking for that one for a while, so hopefully you can get his eye open when we sparred that one time. He he has some heavy hips, so I'll tell on that, because he, he's a fat piece of shit, so his hips were heavy and his feet were glued to the fucking floor. But I busted his eye up, and I fucking hit him about 20 times. I hit him with a couple combinations, little pity pats to the face. He was so easy to hit. It's like he was a statue standing still, and I was just dancing around him. And then he tried to shoot on me, and I kneed him in the fucking eye, and he was bleeding that little picture that we took. Oh, damn. What he do? Y'all asked him about sparring with Mike Perry. Oh, he's a fucking great fighter, a terrific fighter. He was sucking my dick. Fuck him. All right. So that is what it is. I tweeted about this earlier, um, and the tweet was, let's see if the UFC does anything about it because of its code of conduct. And, you know, Perry can say what he, want, but he's, what he wants, but he still has to answer to his bosses. The thing that bothers me about this and about all this things in the past is that when the UFC announced this code of conduct a few years ago, it dinged Matt Mitrione for his comments on Fallon Fox, and it dinged Nate Diaz for a, a homophobic slur that one homophobic slur that he tweeted. Um, both fighters, I think, were fined and suspended. The suspensions were minimal. They probably wouldn't have fought during those suspensions anyway, but they the UFC did act on it. Um, since then, there's a multitude of fighters who have used slurs, mostly homophobic slurs. 
Um, and the UFC has at most um, forced a, and I do say forced, forced a apology from them. Um, some of some fighters have, you know, used the slurs multiple times, and again, at best, a forced apology. And so I don't expect the UFC to do anything here except maybe force another apology. Um, but Perry's, you know, a, a, at least a, a two-time offender. He said some some racist things in the past. Um, and now he's saying, you know, this kind of shit. Um, it's not a good look for him, and it's not a good look for the UFC because silence is, in my mind, condoning. Um, and if the UFC does nothing, then it becomes acceptable. And then the next time someone says something, it, it you can't really go back and... and put that genie back in the bottle you accepted it from him and now you're gonna say well now we're gonna find you or suspend you I mean yeah the UFC can do that because it can do whatever it wants unilaterally because it doesn't have a union or a players association or a fighters association but if you tried to do these things in a uh, sport where it has a fighters association um, it won't work you have to deal with things evenly and how they are written in a CBA so once you set a precedent, you kind of have to stick with that precedent. And I would have thought the precedent would have been the code of conduct, which states, I'm not exactly word for word here, but you, basically you can't embarrass the, the promotion or do anything that makes the promotion look bad. And I mean, this is both of those. But... In a, in a just world, the precedent would have been set by would have been set by Mitrione and Diaz, but since then, the the UFC has pretty much done nothing of substance. Uh, so that's what I'm expecting the end result to be here with Perry. Like I said, at best, a a forced apology. But you know, it's not enough but it's going to have to be enough. All right, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I get the same kind of questions, and that would be questions in air quotes every day. Um, and here are the questions I get usually from folks who have some type of fighter Twitter handle, um, a picture of someone else and their avatar and a picture of someone else as their background and... Uh, it's rare that someone uses their real name and real photo in these things. So take that for what it's worth when these quote-unquote questions get asked. But here they are. Um, why do I write about MMA if I hate the sport? Why do I shit on the UFC and Dana White when they give me a job? Um, why do I hate my life? And why do I want to see someone in the UFC get COVID-19? All these questions are fairly asinine, and so I wrote up a tweet tonight, and I pinned it, and this is what it says. I do like MMA. I support the fighters and fighter rights. I don't like the exploitative business practices in MMA. I don't think the MMA media should comply to the wishes of a promotion. I enjoy my life. 
and I don't want to see anyone get COVID-19. So this pretty much covers everything. And I don't understand why these questions get asked. It's just because I cover things that come across as negative to some people. Um, doesn't mean they are negative. They're critical, yes. And if you come at them with a mindset of the UFC and Dana White are always right, yeah, you're going to see them as negative. But they're not. And I just wanted to throw that out there. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's simple-minded to think these things that I get asked pretty much on a daily basis, and it's frustrating, and I think that's why I respond sometimes the way I do, um, because I'm not going to change these people's minds that, that bring up these questions, just not. They're never going to understand my point of view, so why should I try? But anyway, if you're one of those people... Go to the pin tweet, follow along there, and uh, yeah, that's that. I want to give some props here to Max Holloway, who is participating in a the all four, that's the number four, Hawaii Challenge, um, and mentioned it on his Instagram account, and there's also a story on it. Um, on the UFC's website, so the it's a charitable um, function here, and what it's going to do is help raise money for food banks in Hawaii, um, because the Hawaii Hawaiian economy is getting crushed right now because the, the the islands are you know tourism is their main income and the economy is based on tourism and um, Holloway said here that the uh, unemployment rates at 40% and they, he wants to help out um, stock the food banks and so um, if you enter the contest for Holloway you can win a chance to train with him uh, and it's for, pe it's for four people you get a pair of autographed gloves and you get um, the training and dinner with Holloway so it's a good a, a, a nice thing he's doing here and uh, using his you know uh, powers that he has for for good um, and he says here that once the Hawaiian food banks are stocked up and they tell him that they don't need any more help there he's going to switch to other charities and and help out there so so just another reminder that Max Holloway is, uh, from all all we see of him, a pretty solid dude, um, using whatever influence he has for for good, and you know always being a a positive influence that he can, as much as he can be. So I just wanted to mention that because probably a little you know ref it's refreshing when we have to come off something like what Mike Perry was spewing earlier. So good for Max Holloway. Um, hopefully he can really raise um, a lot of money here for 
the Hawaiian food banks help out and, uh, you know, put some food on tables for people that are in dire straits right now um, because it's going to be a while before uh, Hawaii gets its tourism back to where it was before the pandemic. So this is a good thing from Holloway and hopefully it all works out. The other day I tweeted out that I wasn't going to believe that the UFC had booked uh, the May 30 event for the Apex in Las Vegas until I heard something from the Nevada State Athletic Commission because the UFC, I'm sorry, that Dana White had done had announced that this fight was going to happen on May 23rd in Hawaii and then he had to walk that back. So comes out today that the NSAC is going to hold a meeting on the 27th by teleconference and on the agenda for that meeting is the UFC's May 30th event which goes to to my point that White announced something that was not official um, and it comes across to me when he does this as expecting to get the result that he announced and so he when he announces early it kind of pressures the athletic commissions to green light these things uh, and usually that's not that big of an issue because the the athletic commissions are not under a pandemic which is where we are now and so um, the UFC walked back White's announcement a little bit on its website today when it announced, uh, here's what it says, UFC requests that the Nevada Athletic Commission place the organization's application to conduct an event at the UFC Apex facility on May 30, 2020 on its next agenda. In light of published reports, UFC would like to clarify that it understands that its ability to conduct the event is subject to the approval of NAC. UFC's ability to conduct the event is also subject to compliance with all NAC rules and regulations and its own operations, health, and safety plan previously submitted to the NAC. So, like I said, White jumped the gun. Um, and normally that's not a problem because it's just, you know, green lighting an event, making sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But this situation's a little different. And the NAC has to agree with the operations and health and safety plan that the UFC submitted, which we know that they also did not follow in any of the three Jacksonville events. Um, and so this goes, this is an important meeting. Will the event get approved? I don't know because, I mean, for me, I don't like the way the UFC rolled out its plan and didn't follow it. And by not following it, it increased the risk of COVID-19. And if the same plan gets submitted to Nevada and it's not followed, that's a terrible look. 
so I asked the uh, the UFC if that had updated the document. I didn't get an answer on that. I asked, I think, twice. No answer either time. I think an updated a document is essential if they're going to use the same, if they're going to act the same way they did in Jacksonville because they didn't follow it to a T. They didn't even come close to following it to a T. And I, I reviewed that uh, in an article on Bloody Elbow. And I have also have another one up that, today that I'm going to discuss a little bit here on the podcast. But yeah, the UFC's plan is written pretty solidly if it would have been followed but it wasn't followed and so it needs to be adjusted um, or adhered to my preference would be adhere to the way it was written and Dana White said they were going to get better uh, from event to event he said that after the first Jacksonville event and from what we saw they didn't get better with um much I don't know what they got better at actually Uh, maybe it was getting the fighters into the hotel and making sure everybody that needed to be quarantined was quarantined but I don't know from everything I saw the the document was not adhered to so either the UFC like I said has to like I said has to change the document to what they're actually going to do which I think would end up being insufficient um, as far as health and safety go for anyone that's um, a participant and that's the wording the UFC used for anyone that's going to be um, at the event and so it's a concern and um, I'm not sure if the commission will approve it now if it doesn't they have discussed with Arizona moving there um, so maybe they can pick up and get everything to Arizona but where are the fighters going to be? They're going to be in Vegas. So now they, it's the same kind of situation where they had to move everybody from Nevada to California with, uh, I forget which card it was. It was John Jones' headlined card. I forget the number because I have a terrible memory. But, yeah, they're going to have to do that again. And maybe that'll be safer because everybody's going to be moving, I'm going to assume, in one plane or however they get there but that now increases the likelihood of COVID-19 because you're going on another trip and it's just difficult and so this planning is not up to snuff so the UFC needs to really get everything locked down here ideally I think the apex should be the final destination for all these fights going forward once the Nevada Commission um, approves them. And I think that'll be better because everything will be all in one central location. But I still think the UFC needs to get its shit together on um, infection control from because from what I saw, it's truly lacking there. So um, 27th, yeah, going to be an interesting meeting, very interesting meeting. And we will see what happens there. Um, I'm unsure. I'm, I'm honestly unsure. Because um, I think I think the Nevada Commission does a good job on safety. But it also does 
some some fishy things outside of safety. So we'll see how this all works out. But it's going to be interesting, um, and it's also going to be interesting to see how the commission um, grills the UFC on what it did in Jacksonville and what it's going to do in Nevada. So um, I will hopefully be able to get access to that meeting somehow, Um, maybe through dialing in. I'm going to try for that and see what happens. Um, but yeah, so well, I'll definitely watch out for that. And um, anybody that's interested in where this card's going to be, and under what what safety and health plan it's going to fall under, should also keep an eye on that. Speaking of health and safety, if you want, go to Bloody Elbow, look up the article I posted today, and it's called. It's under the headline is. Decent start, but it has too many holes. Experts weigh in on UFC's COVID-19 safety plan. So I spoke to two experts on this. One was uh, an epidemiologist, and the other was an epidemiologist who is also an infection control expert. And they both had a lot of issues with what they saw um, written. And uh, Zach Benny, who is the just the epidemiologist, he had a lot of problems with what he read as well as what he saw in Jacksonville. And so just check that out. Um, there's a lot of good information from these two who are both doctors, PhDs. Um, but they both read the document and commented on what they saw and what they feel are some shortcomings. And it's an informative read, and it's probably something that um, should be addressed by the Nevada State Athletic Commission when they ask the UFC about their plan on the 27th, because this definitely points out some some things that fell through didn't well fell through the cracks yes but were also ignored or just missed so so dr binney said uh, his overall take is that the plan is a decent start which i i agree with um, and then he went on to say but it has too many holes for the current situation in the u.s in particular it seems to rely a lot on individuals adhering to guidelines with minimal enforcement which already led to several lapses we saw in the run-up to ufc 249 such as fighters working out outside the hotel or not isolating completely. If you tried to run this plan in, say, Taiwan with very few active cases, its weaknesses might be papered over or even justifiable by the low likelihood of actually having a case appear among an event this size. But in a situation like the U.S. right now with a very large number of active cases, the dangers from any weakness, even a minor one, are magnified. And like I said, if they have to fly from... Vegas to Arizona or travel in some form from Vegas to Arizona because the NAC does not approve the May 30th event, that's a that's a magnified weakness because now it's more travel. Um, and another thing that Benny pointed out and which is a, which is a big concern is the 48 hour turnaround of the tests. Uh, Ariel Hawani said that the fighters were tested. Their second test came on 
after, came after the weigh-in. So the results for that test would not come back until after fight night. And that's a huge concern, especially if people are moving in and out of the hotel, if there's not isolation, all these things could increase the likelihood of a second positive test. And also, and here's the, the, the bigger point I think that Benny makes is, and I'll quote him here, we know asymptomatic cases can spread the virus, so what you really need is repeated quick turnaround diagnostic testing. As we have seen countless times now, it would be very possible for a fighter to have a negative test on Wednesday, which wouldn't even come in until Friday, but be shedding virus by his or her fight on Saturday. It appears everyone is only tested once several days before their fight. This is insufficient to safely hold a sporting event in the U.S. at this time. Um, so it's it's the testing is okay. It's probably not up to snuff to catch something that's in the middle of developing. Um, and both uh, both doctors were shocked by the number of people that were involved with the event um, and the document it said up to 199 the stage of the event um, they wanted they were they said even with the isolation and the zones that the UFC mapped out that they felt that that was too many people moving in and out too many moving parts and we also saw in those maps that the UFC didn't adhere to them I mean, they did adhere to them, but what they wrote was opposite of what was on the map. For instance, it said the commentators were not going to be cage side, but then when you looked at the map, the map had them cage side separated on, on different tables, but they were still cage side when the document said that they would not be. Uh, of course, the document said no in cage interviews, and we know that that happened. The document said no handshaking, no fist bumping, but we know that happened. Everyone would have to wear a mask. We know that didn't happen, um, and uh, one of the things that uh, the prevention control doctor said was that the document, and this is something I didn't think about or really notice in my first read-through, the document says that N95 respirators and cloth masks would be available, and her concern with this is N95 respirators require proper fitting or um, they're not as effective as they could be, and... N95 masks and N95 respirators are not for the general public to use, but they're supposed to be used under medical conditions. And um, even under medical conditions, without proper training and proper fitting, they can they they won't have as they won't be as as effective as they should be. So the CDC says that cloth masks are the way to go. So this is something to watch at the next event who's wearing N95 masks, who's wearing cloth masks. Hopefully everyone's wearing a cloth mask because it, like the doctor said here and the CDC says, the N95 masks require proper fitting or they're not going to be as, as effective as they could be. Um, and nowhere in the document is there anything that mentions uh, proper fitting. So... Uh, um, and, and one of the other things that both mentioned was that the 16 media members that were included. And from what I, what I saw and, and what I can gather, the media members were only tested once, and that was upon arrival. So that's risky. 
because even, I mean, media is usually not isolated to the hotel. And I don't know if they were in this case or if they did so on their own. But if they moved in and out of the hotel and were only tested once upon arrival on whenever that was, Tuesday or Wednesday, and I think most people arrived on Wednesday, that's uh, another failure in, in the plan. So both, uh, both doctors wondered why the media had to be on site. And this is something that I wonder as well, because if they're doing virtual um, interviews with these folks, why can't that be done off-site and just have it streamed um, to the UFC's website? and make it available to all media. So another thing that might need to be changed. Um, so it, there's a lot lot to still worry about here, and I, I think people are glossing over that. And uh, for me, one of the biggest worries is nowhere in the document is there a mention of post-fight care, post-fight testing, post-fight self-quarantine. So or even post-pipe PPE use on the travel home from the event. That's a huge concern. And the way it reads to me is that once the fight's over, the UFC is no longer concerned with um, participants' health and safety. And it should be. It's concerned with getting people there and telling them to wear proper PPE on their travel to the hotel. So why is that not indicated uh, on the travel from the hotel. And a quarantine of two weeks should be, once once everyone's home, should be observed. And there should be testing at the end of those two weeks as well to make sure everyone is healthy and, and safe. And then after that, they can just follow um, the plans that their state, county, whatever has um, in, to be enforced. But nowhere in the document is that mentioned. And I think that is something the Nevada or Arizona needs to address because it makes it unsafe. And again, I asked the UFC about these things and I did not get a reply. So we're over 30 minutes. I had some things, other things I want to discuss. The John Jones and Francis Ngannou fight. Um... But I think I will, you know, I'll save that for tomorrow when more things develop on that. Um, so we'll see where that heads tomorrow. Um, I do like that Ngannou and Jones are kind of teaming up here to force the UFC's hand in some way. I don't know if this will be successful because the timing is not exactly right to pull a power play on the UFC when they need... Um, just volume and they're going to be concentrating on just putting fights on and, and staging those fights and if they just if they're just looking for content to to fill fight cards a power play is not really going to work so we'll see what develops from that tomorrow um, but yeah so keep an eye on that because um, it's going to be interesting but until then, um, stay safe.